0: Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of United States podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike, before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. You know, several listeners have made a monthly financial contribution to support the podcast and to help defray the cost of producing these episodes. And now we actually have a Patreon page. So supporting the podcast is super easy. Just go to Patreon.com forward slash sailing the East. And you can also now find our podcast on YouTube as well as your favorite podcasting app. So for you, YouTube fans just search for sailing the East and you'll find it. So thanks again to all of our listeners and a special thanks to our supporters.
1: And Bela, this is also uh, a incredible job that you're doing. Patreon page and all. I'm very impressed, but Today we have bigger fish to fry, so to speak, the exciting conclusion of part two of our conversation with Mike Malikoff and his journey from Lake Champlain to the Bahamas. So listeners, if you haven't already done so, go back and listen to the last episode, number 72, before you go further here. Otherwise, it won't make any sense. Okay. Got it? Okay.
0: Yeah. So uh, in this episode is part two of of episode of my conversation, I should say, with uh, Mike. And- for those of you listeners may remember, uh, back in episode 66, Mike and I uh, in, had a conversation. That was the first time he was on the show, where we sort of, he was talking about the planning that went into and getting ready to do this trip. Uh, and now, episode uh, 72 and 73 are all about what he's done so far. So they haven't made it to the Bahamas yet, uh, but they left Lake Champlain, uh, which is uh, on the border between New York State and Vermont. They sailed down through the uh, Hudson River, uh, down the coast of New Jersey, up the Delaware Bay, uh, down uh, the Chesapeake Bay and into the uh, intercoastal waterway. Uh, so they're on their way down. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about some of the challenges and surprises they've encountered along the way. And, you know, one of the things I found interesting is, is that Mike made this point is that not all marina websites are an accurate description of the actual marina. Uh, so he said they they encountered uh, some surprises, uh, like non-working pump outs and no fuel. And you can think about, you know, if you're on a trip and you're going to say, okay, we're going to stop at this marina, I'm going to get fuel and I'm going to pump out my holding tank. And then you get there and one of those doesn't work. it sort of puts you in a bind. Uh, because now you get, what are you going to do if you need gas? You know, it's like going to a gas station out, you know, out in Arizona <laughs> where they're not real close to each other and you got to get gas. And they say, sorry, we're out of gas, uh, or sorry, the bathroom's closed. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. Uh, and I think part of the lesson there is sometimes it makes sense to call ahead and to confirm that. Yes, indeed. The services that you're looking for in the marina are, are up and running. And I've encountered this in the past as well, particularly early in the season or late in the season, because some marinas start shutting down, uh, as the weather gets colder and, uh, certain facilities are not open or not working. So, uh, I think the lesson learned there is it's certainly worth a phone call.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great story. Uh, maybe we should just dive right in. Yeah. Part two. Yep. Sounds
0: good, Mike. So, uh, Did you guys spend any time on the Chesapeake?
2: Yes. As a matter of fact, we did uh, the uh, plus and minus of being on the Chesapeake. We had originally planned in going south that we wanted to be, my wife has never been to Annapolis and I've Mm. spent a bunch of time there and I wanted her to see Annapolis. And it's just, it's a great community to go into. We wanted to be there the week or two before the boat show, but we got stuck up in New York because of the hurricane. Mm. So we timed it perfectly and got there the day of the boat show. Um, Here comes anxious anchoring number two. Have you ever tried to anchor a boat in the middle of 500 other boats?
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) I, 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 I try, I refrain from doing those types of things if I can.
2: Bela, you couldn't have squeezed a rowboat yeah. into Annapolis. Every dock was taken. Um, it, it was bedlam for the boat show. Now, we got there. There's a powerboat show the week before. Right. And and then the sailboat show. We got there in between the two. So if there was an inkling of opportunity, we ended up anchoring out from Annapolis out near the Naval Academy, because mm-hmm. it was either that or nothing. And there were at least a hundred or so other boats. And as you know, you don't know who these people are. you don't know what their capabilities are, and people are squeezing themselves into spaces that you would normally not squeeze into. So you know, we made the decision, you know, this isn't Annapolis. Normally, because everything in the docks and everything was all closed because they gate everything off. So you can't even walk near the waterfront. Now, the only reason we stayed one night is uh, my wife's brother works in D.C., so he was coming to see us. So we saw him for dinner and we quickly made the decision that this isn't fun. Yeah. And we can't really hang in Annapolis. So what we did is we crossed the Chesapeake the next morning and we went to St. Michael's.
0: Yeah. Beautiful place. Beautiful place.
2: Let me tell you, my wife uh, loved that. And I had been there because I took my sailing courses in the Chesapeake. And that was one of the stops we made. And the marina was great. The town is great. It's all the little restaurants, the shops, The you know, it was it was perfect for, for what we were looking for. And we stayed there two days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful little place back there.
2: Yeah. It's
0: well protected. And uh, it's just it's just nice. It's a nice vibe.
2: Yeah, it is. And we're still with our Canadian friends, by the way. Oh, wow. So, you know,
0: I was thinking about this. When you were talking about the people that you have met in sort of the sailing community and the world would be a better place if, if more people interacted the way boaters and sailors interact, <laughs> it's, it's just like, they're just really nice to each other. I mean, 97, 98% of the time, people are really nice, really helpful and i just don't understand why the rest of society isn't like that it would just be such a better place
2: you you know i it's hard to actually explain it until you experience it yeah that it also gets rid of what i call all the status barriers as well because you know we've seen boats that we look at and go well do you think they'll sink <laughs> because they have nothing electronic. Right. The sails are tattered. The boat's rusty. And there they go. And in two slips over is the 75 foot brand new Beneteau that they just paid a million and a half for. And we're all chatting and right. everybody helps each other. Right which is which is the the uh, one of the things that i've as i said that's i i listed like what are the best things we've experienced it's the people yeah is the people you meet everybody is just nice to each other i think it's because everybody is facing the same challenges and yeah. it it eliminates what i call the political crap and all the day-to-day life things because You're not talking about that. What you're talking about is, what do you think the weather's going to be like? What's the seas? What are they going to be like? Oh, how is your water maker? Is it working today? And can you use some? So it changes the dialogue. And everybody just talks about their boat, the boats and sailing or or sailing or the power boat.
0: Yeah, well said. Yep. well said. Yeah. Yes. So uh, let's see. Working your way down to Chesapeake now?
2: Correct. So now we've been there. Now we're going to work our way down the Chesapeake. And as I said, everything is going fine. Um, Our Canadian friends have decided they left early because they are actually going to Norfolk and they're on one of those rallies. Oh, yes. There is the rally that was leaving 140 boats to Antigua.
0: Yeah, the Salty Dog Rally, I think.
2: That's it, the Salty Dog. Yep. So they were participating in that, but they wanted to get there early. It's It was supposed to leave November 1st. They were going to get there a week early. They have a daughter that's there. So they headed out a little bit sooner. And they were three, maybe three hours in front of us. And we're going down the Chesapeake and it's another beautiful day and everything is fine. And just like the Delaware, things can turn in an instant and all of a sudden the wind shifted and now they're coming up the Chesapeake and it went from 5 knots to 30 in 15 20 minutes wow and they were planning to go all the way down now they're calling us telling us what we're heading into and they said, "Now you guys were going to go into an anchorage. Which anchorage? Tell us quickly." <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, we had planned, and I had charted out an anchorage that was supposed to be very good. And I said, "Well, here's where we're going." And they said, "We're going to use it too. Help us. Where is it?" And they said, "And by the way, hurry up." And so now we're cranking up the engines to move a little bit quicker and that was the worst experience we had eight foot waves on the bow that were breaking and that was probably i think our biggest anxious moment because we couldn't see the crab pots anymore yeah. Yeah. and anybody that's been on the chesapeake yeah. knows that there are crab pots everywhere so yeah. fortunately they got into this anchorage before us And they were then telling us, by the way, you want to stay out further beyond the beacon. Don't go near the beacon, you know, and they were telling us where to go. And that's how we were, you know, sort of worked out for both of us. But sure, it was it was an hour of the boat going and slamming down. And finally I was able to the tough thing is you want to get through there quickly but to control the boat, you got to slow it down. Yes. So anyway, it was, that was probably our most nerve wracking because again, it just came out of nowhere and uh, we were unfamiliar where we were going. And, uh, uh, and then we had to make this turn into the anchorage area, which meant we had to turn the boat in these waves going into them. And as you know, that's, takes practice, yeah, uh, you know so yeah. so that was uh, that was a challenging day for us.
0: you know it really it really sort of helps you uh, understand uh, the importance of how far apart waves are, right? So in lakes, yeah. oftentimes you'll have six foot waves, but the lake the the waves are only six feet apart. <laughs> yes, and you get out into the ocean, you're gonna have six foot waves. But the waves are fifteen or twenty feet apart. That makes a world of difference.
2: And they're they're coming in a pattern, where with this, it was okay. One wave, two waves, three waves, and then four come at you at once, with no pattern, seconds apart, and they're just you know they're just beating the boat up. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> and that was that was definitely uh, uh, a tough experience.
0: Yeah, you probably felt but like you were back on Lake Champlain.
2: I I did. I said to my wife, I said, you know, it was worse than Lake Champlain for a while. But I said, at least I had a good feel for it of how to surf the waves yeah. so that we weren't just pounding into them. But I I said to myself, I want to learn more and and understand how to, you know, sail or navigate the boat in crazy waves. So I've been reading a lot more after that experience. Yeah. So so anyway, we got partway down. We were fine. And then the next couple of days, we moved further down the Chesapeake. And then I'll go to the next lesson that you learn is no matter where you anchor in the safest bay in the world, and it's dead calm, don't think you can't put out Enough chain when you anchor. So we pulled into this bay, and and I'm gonna uh, I'm trying to think of which town we were in at this point, but we were in a good location, and it was beautiful, dead calm. You know, we're just gonna be here for the night. I'm just gonna drop the anchor, put out 50 feet of chain. We'll be fine. Um, 5 a.m. What's that noise? Oh, it's the wind ripping through at 25 knots. Mm. And my wife says, the anchor alarm just went off. And I go, what do you mean the anchor alarm went off? You know, we have several. And sure enough, the anchor alarm went off. And the next thing I know is it's barely sunrise and we're dragging.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, you know, and we have a good, we have an oversized anchor, oversized chain. But I didn't put out enough because I didn't need it last night. So my next thing that I've learned is always, always put out the chain because you don't know what it's going to be. Lesson two from that. Make sure you tie the dinghy up properly, Mm. even though it's dead calm, because my wife goes, where's the dinghy? (laughs) uh oh so not only are we dragging we've lost the dinghy and fortunately the wind was coming in from the chesapeake into the land and it blew the dinghy up on the shore so now my wife is yelling at me going you lost the dinghy and we're dragging (laughs) so I also said we've now learned how in 25, 30 knot winds dragging how to fix it,
0: yeah. which
2: is you got to move the boat up slowly toward the anchor because you can't pull the anchor up No way. With the boat
0: right.
2: yanking it. And I had to ask her to drive the boat, which she doesn't like to do in high winds, so that I could deal with the stuff going on on the front of the boat. and. It was nerve-wracking because the wind just yanks the bow back and forth. Right. As you, as you know. Right. And she's just saying, I can't control. I said, give it more power. The boat has the engine to push us. So it took like half an hour, but we're looking and I said, I know this was stupid what I did, but three other people did stupid things too, because they're dragging
1: yeah. in
2: the same bay.
1: Yeah. So
2: we got the anchor up. I moved the boat up again, it dropped the anchor, had the appropriate amount of chain now, and the boat settled, but now our dinghy is a quarter of a mile away on the beach. Yeah. So having come from Burlington on Lake Champlain, and the water is 50 degrees even in the summer on Lake Champlain, as you probably know. Yeah. 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 I said to her, I'm going to go swim and get the dinghy because the water's warm. So she naturally took videos of me playing uh, Navy SEAL uh, (laughs) with my life vest on. And I had to swim to shore. And the dinghy was the reason it broke loose is because of the waves it filled with water.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: So that's why it yanked loose, because it got so heavy. So I had to empty the thing. Of course I had nothing to empty it with because I swam to the thing so I'm using my hands. And so there was another life learning experience of put out enough chain and make sure your dinghy is always tied up correctly if you're leaving it tied to the back of the boat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well someone so I heard someone once say that uh, anchor chain does no good when it's in the anchor locker. <laughs>
2: Where were you in that episode that I could have learned that? <laughs> I mean, it's
0: just totally useless in the anchor locker. All it's right. doing is making your bow heavy.
2: <laughs> so. Exactly. So, uh, uh, and, and part of that also with the dinghy experience that we also learned was we had the dinghy on the davits coming down the Chesapeake because it was so wonderful until you get into eight foot waves, right? And now the dinghy is swinging like crazy. So when we got into this other anchorage, I put it down with the intention of putting it on the boat the next day, which didn't happen. And so the other thing is make sure it's either tied tight to the back or get it on the damn boat. So we actually now know that experience is if you're going out in the ocean or you could encounter heavy seas, you can't leave your dinghy tied on the davits or dragging behind the boat
0: yeah you gotta put it
2: it, so we now have the dinghy on the front of the boat strapped down with the engine where it belongs on the back of the boat
0: yeah yeah i I learned that lesson coming up from from uh, florida out in the ocean we hit a storm and the 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 dinghy was on davits in the back And we thought we had it sort of lashed to the boat as tight as we could, but it it was like a, it was like its own sail back there. The wind was just sort of flopping it all around the place.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are things that you, you, you learn by experience. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one of the things with this whole thing that we're doing of the highs and the lows is the, those things that you just kind of shake your head and say, Why didn't I know that? Yeah. But there's so much to know when you're doing this for the first time that I kind of chalk that up and say, We were, you know, me swimming to get the dinghy, we sort of laughed about afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, that we got through the dragging anchor and the dinghy. And, you know, at the time, it's all panic because. Yep. You're dealing with the winds and dragging and all of this. And uh, you know, as I said, an hour later when it calms down, you're laughing about it.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So where where is the boat uh, physically now or geographically now? So
2: right now the boat is in Beaufort, North Carolina. Oh, okay. At Homer Smith's Marina. And we had um, and this this is also another thing that I'm gonna say from learning that I learned from you and listening to others don't have a schedule. Yeah. If you have a schedule, you're going to regret it because boating destroys schedules. And when we started this, um, we had, cause we're not on the boat right now. We had one commitment. One of our kids that had been, was getting married. We had to be back in Vermont. Sure. So we knew the date, but I planned this schedule from September to be in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, where there was an airport to fly home. So five months ago, I had bought the tickets. So when we left Vermont, I had to be in Wilmington before that plane left. Now, that wasn't like a real tight schedule. I had built a lot of time. In, sure. Um, and we were doing well. We made up time after the hurricane thing. And we were having a good time on the ICW, and I'm gonna skip ahead a few things, and the next thing you know is we're pulling into Beaufort with five days to go, and outside on the ocean, it's a one-day trip. On the ICW, it's a two-day trip. We're, we're good. So as I go, as I said, if you think you have a schedule and you're all set, something's going to happen to destroy it. We had the last three days on the W. the weather was perfect. So we were moving 40, 50 miles a day, which is a lot. Pretty good, yeah. On a sailboat. And we get into Beaufort. I'm relaxed now. This is a piece of cake. The following day, the seas kick up. And... Now you're talking six to 10 foot waves. Okay, we're not going outside. We're going the ICW. We're going to get ready. We're going to leave in the morning and we'll be in Wilmington in two days. We're all set. We get up, check everything, get on the VHF, check everything. Don't leave the bridges out on the ICW. (laughs) It broke the swing bridge. Yeah, It's out of operation. What do you mean? It's it broke.
0: Yeah, I remember on one of our trips, uh, one of the railroad bridges was was broken and it was it was closed for like two days. (laughs) It was broke for two days. They couldn't open it. Right. So, I mean,
2: it was fine for the trains. They could go, but they couldn't open the bridge. Yeah. So, okay, well, they're going to fix it. Right. It's on the ICW. You've got hundreds of boats heading south and they're all lined up. You know, everybody's moving, you know, following each other. No, it's a private bridge. It's not run by the railroads. It's a development that has a bridge over the ICW. Okay, today, tomorrow, the next day, they have to make parts. So my five-day window evaporates. So I'm I'm looking at saying, well, Beaufort's an hour and a half drive. So I go to the marina where we're at. I said, can I cut a deal to leave the boat here for the next four weeks or by four weeks? Because we have to be down in Wilmington in two days to get on a plane. And fortunately, we were able to make that arrangement. And we were close enough to Wilmington that we rented a car. Sure. Drove to the airport and flew back home. Yeah. But here it was. I had planned this over six months. I knew every stop where we had to be to be in Wilmington and I get within 50 miles of Wilmington and all, everything went up in smoke.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so our boat's sitting in Beaufort, North Carolina right now. And we, and again, Uh, You'll appreciate this. A guy comes up to us when we're in Beaufort. He says, I notice you've got a Hunter 44 DS. He says, do you have spare parts? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you what's going on? He says, do you see that boat over there across the aisle? And I'm looking. He had the same exact boat Uh model year, everything. It was a mirror image of what we had. (laughs) Uh, Remarkable. And the other thing is, I don't care how new or old your boat is. Everything breaks on boats. And the poor guy was, uh, uh, everything on a boat is marine. You can't go to Lowe's, you can't go to Ace Hardware to buy something that you think will work on your boat plumbing-wise. Because everything is a different size, and he needed. Um, as you know, you have the not PVC, the blue and red.
0: That's you right. You probably
2: have. Do you know you can't find that stuff?
0: Well, it's not. It's it's not the uh, I, uh, PEX. That yes, it's pecs Is used for 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 homes. It's metric PEX. It's 15 exactly. millimeters. It's not a half inch. I learned that the first year I had my boat, because when I saw the boat, I said, oh, this is great. It's PEX, just like at my house. <laughs> and, and I had a, I had a broken fitting and, and I, you know, well, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit the PEX. T- oh, by the way, this is, this is metric stuff.
2: Well, this poor guy didn't know that. Yeah. And he had a leak and he needed some of the pecs and the angle fittings. Yes. And I had fixed something with our water. His water heater went out and he was fixing it and he needed 18 inches of PEX. Yeah. And he did the same thing. He went to the store, he bought the stuff, came back and found out it's metric. Yeah. And fortunately, I had 18 inches of extra PEX for. Uh, When I bought the boat, they had already put in lines to put a hose in to do the anchor locker, but they hadn't hooked it up. So I have in the bow of the boat, like 15, 20 feet of PEX. That's the right size. So I was able to cut him a piece and give him a couple of the angle. But exactly is that you learn very quickly that don't think you're running to Home Depot or Lowe's to get something for the boat. Yeah, it doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, you know, so that I discovered the same thing. And in doing a little bit of digging uh, uh, about that, it turns out they've been using PECs in Europe way before we adopted it here in the States. And so in Europe, of course, it's all metric. And many boat manufacturers said, hey, this PEC stuff is really easy to work with and do. So they adopted it and they bought it all from Europe because that's the only place they could buy it. And now, of course, we, we make and sell PECs here in the United States um, and in non-metric sizes. Um, but our boats that were made uh, kind of pre-USA PECs are all, all metric. And uh, yeah. those you can find those right. fittings, but you're not going to find them at Lowe's. No. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: So, so anyway, I, my point is I've learned that no matter how old or new your boat is, everybody has something broken on it. Yeah. And and we, we met a guy that had just picked up his brand new 57-foot Beneteau at the boat show coming down the Chesapeake. He was two days into his uh, sail and he took off all his instruments at the first bridge. because they had told him his air draft was X, but it was one foot higher. Yeah. So the 65 foot bridge that was 64 took everything off. Yeah. And he was also having a rudder problem and an electrical problem. And he had just picked this brand new thing. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Up at the boat show. And.
0: Yeah. You know, it, I've often thought about this the boats of today sort of remind me of what cars were like in the 50s and 60s <laughs> right <laughs> they were always breaking and you were always working on them yes and and you know it was just like if if you went 5000 miles between something wearing out or breaking on a car that was remarkable and somehow cars and all sorts of other things have advanced tremendously but boats sort of still seem to be stuck in the fifties and sixties where, you know, the, and many, I, and I can remember as a kid, uh, my, my parents used to get uh, consumer reports and they used to do, you know, they were the Bible about reviewing products in those days and they used to review cars. And I can remember reading these car reviews and, and it would say for this car X, Y, Z model, we found 23 manufacturing defects and they would list some of the bigger ones like you know the the the, the door didn't close properly or you right. know the trunk latch didn't unlatch properly i mean pretty major things but it sort of re, re, i mean they fixed all those things in the automotive world but it seems to <laughs> me that in in the in the boat manufacturing business it's still and it probably has to do with the volumes and all sorts of stuff like that but it's it's still a uh, highly variable, from a manufacturing perspective, highly variable um, manufacturing process.
2: It, well, it is, and, and unlike cars, which are just cranked out one after the other, every boat is different. Even boats that are, as I said, identical models, years, everything. Well, they didn't have that water heater
0: Right. Today, so they stuck a different one in it, right? So
2: they stuck a different one in it, and it's in yeah. differently because whatever. So, yeah. yes, everything is different on on all of the boats. And as I said, I've learned that everybody is fixing something no matter how new or old your boat is.
0: Yeah. So your boats uh, up on the hard or in the water now.
2: It's in the water. And okay. because we were helping this couple out, he's watching my boat now. So he was so thankful that he was able to, we we had the parts he needed. Sure. So he's like because you just can't get metric pecs. Right. Anywhere. So he has a water heater. His wife is happy because she has a hot shower. Sure. So he said, don't worry about your boat. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll check it. And the Marina was like that as well. They they said, no, we make sure. sure. So w- we're fairly confident that, you know, we're fine and right. we get messages every every day. Um, and then our Canadian friends that we met, they're now, I think, several hundred miles offshore heading to Antigua because we can follow them on the AIS systems. So we actually know, and they're sending us messages. And these are people we just met in the past yeah. month.
0: Yeah, it's great. And
2: we have other people that have offers offered us a slip in Florida that were docked next to us. And they were so impressed that when we got to um, Hampton by Norfolk, we were so worried about the bridge heights and measuring everything. And what, what's our air draft that my wife went up in the chair and we took all our instruments off to buy us an extra foot and a half. And the people next to us were so enthralled that my wife would do that.
0: Yes. And
2: he was, he was going to help us and he has a power, this guy had a power boat and just the nicest people. And we ended up having dinner with them and, and, and ironically, and then we got their card and stuff and, and I promised I wouldn't promote it, but he turns out to be one of the top Hollywood people that we just didn't know it at the time. And they've got a boat. Yeah. And, you know, and just nice people. And they have a slip down in Florida that they said, Oh, you can come to our marina, We'll get you in. Yeah, very nice. And we just met them like yeah. 2 days. Yeah. And it's, it's remarkable.
0: And, like I and, said, and, the world would be a better place.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so that's definitely a high point. So the boats there, um we're actually in Georgia right now uh for Thanksgiving and then we're going to head to the boat and take the boat and hopefully in the early part of December be in Florida. Yeah. With the plan of heading to the Bahamas at the end of December, beginning of January. Okay. So, so, wonderful. so uh, before we took this thing, we said, we're going to the Bahamas. Now that I've been through this, I say our goal is the Bahamas <laughs> because I see what can happen.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, with people with their boats and breaking down. Oh, and we also, we grounded the boat. So the adage is, if you have a sailboat, there are people that have grounded their boat and there are liars. Right. And right. we now can say we've grounded the boat because we were in a marina that had a very shallow channel entrance and we got in fine, but we couldn't get out.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And yeah. we grounded the boat.
0: Yeah. And, and we, had, you have a five, foot, a five foot draft? Five foot. Yeah.
2: and And what I figured out is Five foot doesn't go through four foot, <laughs> even if it's mud, <laughs> even it's if it's mud. We, yeah. we did back out a couple of I, we knew it was going to be tough, so I didn't get stuck stuck. I was able to back it out and they were directing. There was somebody there that was directing to move a little bit left or right. And then we finally plowed through Yeah, uh, to get out. Uh, but I can say now we've grounded the boat.
0: <laughs> yeah, very good. You got that. You got that uh, star on your lapel now for grounding.
2: Yes, that that uh, yes, star or whatever you want to call it. Check yeah. that off the box. So let
0: me ask you a couple of questions before we wrap up here, uh, Mike. Sure. So on on your trip so far, what 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 did you worry about that it turns out you didn't need to worry about, or or what was much easier than you thought it would be?
2: You notice my silence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a fair answer. <laughs> I, um, I, I, Okay, I'll tell you what was easier. Our marina in Burlington was not well protected. Docking could be brutal in our marina. Mm, we could have yeah. 20 knot winds and bouncing all over the place. And it was always white knuckling sometimes getting into our marina. Docking has not been a problem that we've been going into a marinas that are well-protected and anchorage is well-protected. So dropping the anchor or docking the boat, even in New York city, i never lost control of the boat. And, Good. and, you know, I don't care who you are. It, there's no one that says they've never lost control of a boat in an anchorage or in a, right. in a marina. Right. And I will say, most of the people have been great in some of these marinas in helping you that yes they'll bring out two or three dock hands if you're really sure. unsure um yeah. i've been going in mostly bow first because the boat doesn't stop you have control as anyone knows if you're going to go in stern first at some point you got to stop and turn the boat around right i've done it a couple of times my wife doesn't is uncomfortable because we don't know the marina a lot of times and it could be but when it's dead quiet i've said i'm fine i can spin the boat
1: yeah. but
2: docking has i would say that's something that knock on wood has been easy for yeah, me
0: yeah well that's good so let me ask my other question so is is there something that you wish you had that you don't have or maybe you didn't have it in the beginning but you have it now was there something that mm-hmm. turns out man i really wish we had that
2: Um, I don't think so. I I think that I think that we prepared, we've been preparing for this for two years. Yeah. And and I, I say from my perspective, I'm a detailed person. My wife is a tech person who's even more detailed. We had lists upon lists upon lists of all the things that we would need, including spare parts. Um, you can't get an oil filter for our boat right now, but I've got three. Uh, oh, that's
0: why, because you got them
2: all. <laughs> yeah, I got them all. Uh, um, but I, I would say, no, I, I think we are really we've been really well prepared. Yeah, uh, that we've had all the right things up up to this point. Um, the the one anxiousness that we Botched up, and I, I can't really say that we botched it up. But I knew we had to go under bridges along the way, and I knew what the clearance is. Sixty-five foot is the natural clearance. So when our mast came down um, after the um, the the locks, I sat. I measured everything three and four times. And measured everything to find out that what was in the manual was a foot and a half off. So now I'm sitting there going, we're 63 and a half feet. And the anxiousness of leaving the Hudson going all the way down. What are we going to do? What are we going to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, And. It went all the way down to Norfolk, which is where you enter the ICW and the bridges start. So we decided to take the antenna and everything, everything off the top to bias that 12 or 13 inches. I said to my wife, I said, listen, you're going up there. I said, our mast rakes back a little bit. Let's run a line from the top, straight down and I'll remeasure everything again from the mast to the waterline. I should, I'm making this too long a story. The point being, because of the rigging and the tension, and on a hunter, the, the furling mast rakes back about eight inches or so. It turns out that the manufacturer thing was correct if you measure while the mast is up. When you measure with the mast down, you're measuring the mast straight and flat not raked. So the 63 and a half turned out to be 62, which means we didn't have to worry as much, although we did ping on one of the bridges that isn't 65 feet. Yeah. So I would say that was one of the things that was just this anxiousness getting all the way to Norfolk. What are we going to do? We were actually, you're going to laugh at this. This was this boat next to us watching us. I said to my wife before we measured this, I saw a video that we can take the boom, put it out to the side and put weights on it to tilt the boat under the (laughs) thing. So these people in their big power boats are watching me sit on the end of the mast or the end of the boom, boom while she's checking the percentage or degree of lean.
0: Uh, getting out your trigonometry book. <laughs> oh, my
2: gosh. Doing uh, arc
0: yeah. cosines of this angle.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, I guess, again, we laughed later, but we've actually been good going under the bridges. But we're going, we're making sure at lower tides, we're checking the measurements. Here's my question to you. You've been in boating. Why hasn't somebody come out with a device that you could point at a bridge that would give you the distance from the bridge to the waterline?
0: Good question. I don't know. I, I want to figure that
2: one out because I'll right? tell you I mean, what. I-
0: they, do, they make laser rangefinders, finders, but it's, it measures the distance from the, the laser in your hand to whatever you bounce it off of. Well, right? yeah, but that's
2: right. That doesn't so
0: work. You'd have to jump into the water, swim <laughs> under the bridge and hold it at the water line up to the top of the bridge.
2: I want to figure that one out because if I know I could sell a million of those instantly to the uh, sales. Yeah. Oh, and I will say one other thing that someone showed me that other people said that's ingenious is that because we were worried about the bridges, the main thought is go up very slowly, very slowly when you get up to the bridge. And if you start to tap your mess, Yes. Go the other way. Well, somebody said to us, Well, why would you wait until you're hitting your mast? Why don't you do this? And it was like this light went off. I went to Home Depot, I bought a four foot wood dowel, and you tape it to the top of your mast facing forward. Uh huh. So if you're gonna hit, you're gonna hit the stick first. Oh,
0: so it's horizontal. The, the, it's the horizontal, is horizontal to the, the tape to the boat. top of the mast. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
2: And it's like, so everybody was looking at that going, is that an antenna or what is, <laughs> you know? And I, I started teasing. People. I said, that's a new satellite thing so that we can watch TV. <laughs> right. Really? <We're... laughs> but others were looking and said, that's a great idea. You know, yeah. that if you're worried that way you're not hitting your mast or your are Yeah, you're, you're making a,
0: a sacrificial uh, device. <laughs> you it's can break buying it. you it's three okay. feet
2: is what it's doing, yeah. three or four feet. So anyway, yeah. that's my mast story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Mike, this has been great. Uh, it's been wonderful to catch up with you. Uh, we've been going an hour and a half almost. I'll, I'll probably break this into two, possibly three episodes. Um, but I think uh, oh. we'll have to get together again when you're uh, – further along Uh, in your adventure. Notice I didn't say when you're in the Bahamas.
2: (laughs) Right. I hope we can, because as I said, for all of the different things, it's been a great experience. And, you know, we could be sitting on the porch, letting grass grow under our feet. Mm -hmm. Or as my wife said, we could be doing this crazy thing that you know, most people would never do at our. I hate to say at our age. Yeah. And we've just had a, a really good time. There are times when we yell at each other, which I think any couple will tell you on a sailboat.
0: Yeah, but you probably did that before
2: you started sailing too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true, uh, but a whole different topic. Yes. Uh, now uh, we have new things to yell at each other about, but you got to get headsets because I told my wife at one point, I don't understand your hand signals from the bow of the boat when things are going wrong.
0: So I'll I'll tell you, my my wife and I, uh, we use our cell phones. So we just call each other and, you know, use a, use a Bluetooth in your ear and that's what we do. And it, and it works quite well. If it's super windy, of course, it's not great.
2: Exactly. uh,
0: but it's still, uh, 95% of the time, it works great.
2: If you have a cell signal.
0: Yeah, where we are these days, we almost always have a cell signal. Right. So it's, it hasn't on the ICW. Issue, but that can be different on the ICW for sure.
2: Anyway, we bought, we bought the Bluetooth headsets. And yes. And they're just great. great. And as a matter of fact, we've actually convinced a couple other couples saw us, and they were like, Well, that's great. And the husband and wife naturally say, see, I told you, we don't need to yell at each other. So it's definitely made life easier uh, because, as you know, when you're docking, you can't see from back there. And this idea of hand signals just doesn't work. And my wife says six feet, five feet, four feet. And I can hear her and I can say, "Okay, I'm going to start. And she says, start moving to the right, whatever. But so anyway. That's, yeah, uh, they're great. that's I, where I, we are. And yeah, I, I we've enjoyed it. And yeah. if you're thinking of doing it, I mean, it's just, it's like a whole new world is, is yep. what it is. And, uh, uh, and I, and I guess since we're ending, I'll leave you with this. The other high point, my wife's seeing dolphins yeah. that we actually, on the Chesapeake, the dolphins came by the boat, went with us on the boat and they're going underneath and they'll go from one side to the other. So my wife, that was one of her things and watching all the videos with the, you know, why do the dolphins like to ride with boats? I don't know, but we had that. So,
0: yeah, that it's was, it's it's one of the magical things about being out on the water on a boat when those dolphins show up. It's just whatever yeah. it is, I don't know what it is. They have this power over human beings, and they, uh, it really did. is cool.
2: So, yeah. so, so anyway, I I really appreciate you inviting me to uh, share our experience. Yep. Um I hope it helps others because uh, you know it's it's hard work there's no doubt about it it's harder than i thought it was going to be but the highlights are higher than what i thought it was going to be yeah. so um it's it's been a lot of fun uh, yeah. to say the least and we've yeah. met great people that's one of the best parts of it
0: yeah the way i car- characterize it is it's it's not as hard as you think it is but it's more work than you thought it would be
2: uh, yes that's that's a perfect your words, yes. yes, that's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, it's not intellectually hard, right? It's not mathematically difficult, but it's but it is a is a lot. It's a lot of work, and and oftentimes, these things are always at least I find it to be, uh, not as difficult uh, as you think they're going to be. Once you take that first step, you know you build a little confidence, then you take the second step, and you build a little more confidence. I mean, that's the whole reason I've been, I've been, I've been solo sailing this summer a half a dozen times just to sort of have me build up my own confidence. Because when you're out there by yourself, it forces you to think through everything you're going to do. And it makes mm. me a better sailor. Yes. I, I don't do it because I want to solo sail, <laughs> but I, I do it because it, it hones your skills. All of a sudden you become much more in tune to what the boat is doing and when to reef your sails, and h- how am I going to anchor myself? <laughs> you know, what do I need to do? And coming into the dock by yourself, etc. It really polishes all those skills, and and that was the reason I did it. It was just to kind of push myself a little bit,
2: right? And and I've listened to those podcasts. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I
2: love the way you get a mooring ball by yourself.
0: Yes, it works but out well.
2: I will email you because I want separately to understand the furling part, the way you furl by yourself mm. with the mainsail using, uh, um,
0: my, my, my various winches,
2: the yep. winches and stuff. And the way you, cause I, I didn't quite, I think I missed a little bit about that, but anyway, uh,
0: I, I probably didn't explain it very well because it, it's, it's challenging to sort of explain that, but, uh, yeah, we can do that separately offline. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. to have that conversation. Because I, I'll it say t- this took me a while.
2: Yeah. Is that, The furling mast is great, but it isn't just pushing buttons and yanking on things. There's a technique to doing it correctly because when the winds are blowing and you're trying to do it under duress, there's a correct way and a wrong way. Even the fact of finally learning that you want to be on a starboard tack because of the way it goes into the sail or into into the the mast.
0: Into the mast, that's right.
2: Because it's less pressure. Uh, So anyway, that's a, yeah, I I really enjoyed that thing that you did on your solo sailing because it does refine your techniques because you're all alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's do a, you know, we can do a a phone call or something on that, on that furling domain. Uh, And each boat is different, right? So you have a hunter, I have a hunter, they're laid out the same. So yeah. It'll be identical, I think.
2: Oh yeah. Yours, yeah, because it sounded like yours is set up identical to mine. Yeah, and 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 I I furl it that way even when
0: I have multiple people on the boat now. I mean, that's my way of doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
0: Because it just works so well. And mm-hmm. I can control everything. So yeah. anyway, very good, Mike. Uh thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, oh no. And we'll my- we'll pick pick this up at some point in the future. Uh, when you're further along on your trip here, and uh, we'll have another episode or two.
2: Baylor, thank you very much again for having me or us on here to share our trip, and hopefully people can learn from our experience, both the good and the bad. Uh, but uh, uh, but I will say it's 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 been uh, an ex- definitely an exciting adventure. So I'll leave it at that. So.
0: Yeah, that's great.
2: Thanks, Mike. Thank, thank you. Have a good evening
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bela, that was really a great conversation and a great wrap up uh, to a a long story, but a great story. Um, Two main elements really struck me. I think about about what was going on here. And first was I really enjoyed this kind of fresh perspective on the difference between preparation for a, a sale and the reality of a sale and how you really have to be ready for anything you can plan really well. Um, but things are going to go amiss, and you've got to both have this plan, but you have to have the flexibility and the wherewithal to adapt to changing conditions, um, which I thought was really cool to hear that from from Mike's perspective. And then kind of the second piece, I think, was the community that um, Mike and his wife found, and they built so many interesting connections with other sailors and people at the various stops along the way, and really a community of helpful people and kind people, and uh, And I just thought that was, that was really cool. Well, what did you think?
0: Yeah, those are two really good points, Mike. I, I think on the on the preparation piece, you know, I, I I heard somebody once say, "It's amazing how lucky you are when you're well prepared," and and I, and I think that's true about many things in life, and it's certainly true in sailing. And I think the other interesting thing is I I've been out on other people's boats when you know the weather is not as predicted, and people get all upset. They say, well, wait a minute, the weatherman told me it was gonna only be you know, uh, 10 knots of wind and we're out here and it's 25. And you have to remember that a lot of these services that we get, like weather, et cetera, that's a model. It's, it's predicting the future. And it's just like anything else that predicts the future, it's not 100% accurate. So your point of you have to be prepared for when things don't go as well as you might think. So you always have to have sort of a plan B and a plan C, you know, if you're, if you're traveling and your idea is to go, you know, 50, 60 miles today, and you have a marina picked out where you're going to stop or an anchorage, but for some reason, something happens on the boat or some reason the weather's not as predicted, you have to have a place that you can stop in that's shorter. So when I do these trips, I always, I always have like a sheet of paper where I have a all the, all the places laid out that are possible. I have my goal, but between where I am in the morning and where I want to get to at the end of the day, I have sort of exits along the way that if I need to, I know I can go in there uh, either to get out of bad weather or you know, if I need something. So I think that preparation is, is really key. And, and I think you and I have talked about this in past The the sailing and boating community is incredible and I know I said this in the, my conversation with with Mike is that, God, if, if, if all people were like that community of, of people willing to help each other and 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 kind of overtly help each other. You know, I, I've been on my boat and I'm, you know, moving, moving something in the cockpit and someone's and someone walking by will just stop and say, hey, you need a hand. I mean, that doesn't happen in life. <laughs> At least it doesn't happen to me in, in the other parts of my life you know, I could be trying to put a sail up by myself or carry something and someone, someone will just stop and help you. Or you're coming into the dock and, and people will get off, get off their boats, walk over to where your slip is to catch your lines for you. And it's just amazing to me. And and I've been looking for parts on my boat sometime and people have given me parts and I've given people parts. So there's just this great sort of community and Gosh, I, I I wish more of the world was like that because it it would certainly be a nicer place. But yeah, so I think those are two great points that you made, Mike, and I, I certainly agree
1: with them. Great. What do you think? Time to wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do that, Mike. All right. All right. Listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Sailing the East. We hope you found our conversation today, both part one and part two interesting and thought provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, All one word at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. And if you know of someone that would be a good guest for the show, let us know. We'd love to have them on. So hope to see you out there. Uh, winter's coming up, winter's coming here in upstate New York. So uh, I'm starting to gonna be going skiing shortly. But um, I'm already thinking about uh, next summer and next spring and and getting out on the boat again. So I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Mike Malkoff. And so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon.
1: Sounds great. i from over here in Münster, Germany. See you next time.